0: Have you ever had someone come and share some news with you that they were really, really excited about and you just thought, so what? Something that was really important to them, but really irrelevant to you. Something that they were just super excited about and, and you just couldn't find out why they were so excited about this piece of news. That uh, You might think, what on earth does this have to do with me? Uh, a lot of times for me, I, I might alienate myself here in, in Bloomington, but a lot of times for me, that's sports, <laughs> right? Uh, I grew up like watching uh, one pro football team, and, and the rest of sports I just didn't really get into. It just wasn't something that was, that was a big deal. Uh, plus, I wasn't very good at them, um, so I didn't <laughs> enjoy watching them all the time. Uh, and so sometimes people will come to me, and they'll, they'll talk about something big that happened in sports, and I'm like, okay. So, uh, the, you know, I know we're in the middle, middle of a big basketball tournament right now, and I know there were some major upsets, and so I pretended to, like, know what I was going on when somebody was talking about, like, these big upsets in, in this basketball tournament. I'm like, okay. Cool. Um, yeah, m- maybe for you, that's not sports. Maybe for you, that's politics. You just don't get into politics, and so somebody talks about some candidate or, or some bill on the floor, and you're just like, so... Uh, I I don't care. Um, Or or maybe for you, it's business. You're not a business person, and somebody's talking about the latest stock market trends, and you're like, okay, yeah, all right, so what does that have to do with me? Uh, For a lot of people, that's actually how they feel about the resurrection, uh, that's how they feel about Christianity. Uh, and so I want to talk to you today and explain to you why I don't think that's the case. Why I don't think the resurrection is something that is uh, irrelevant to anybody. And so um, I want to give you a quote from the great uh, 20th century um, theologian and, and writer C.S. Lewis. Here's what he says. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance and, of, and if true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So in, in light of today being Easter, we're, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. I want to modify this just a little bit. The resurrection, if false, is of no importance. None whatsoever. But if true... It is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. This is the case that I want to try to make to you today. I want to, I want to demonstrate today that, that the resurrection, if it's true, is not something that we would just shrug our shoulders and say, okay, so what? That's what, I want to, that's what I want to convince you today. I want to bring us to a point of decision where we either decide we are going to believe that the resurrection is true and embrace the, the implications of it, or say it's not true and it doesn't really matter. So to start with this, I'm going to start with something the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, those of you uh, who know the story of the Apostle Paul know that he started out as a persecutor of Christians. He was a Jewish Pharisee. He heard this message of Jesus being preached, and, and Luke, the historian, tells us that he went about investigating, and Paul went about uh, destroying the church, dragging men and women from their churches and from their houses and throwing them in prison as, and was consenting to their death. This is who Saul was. His, uh, he went by, uh, Saul was. Uh, His Hebrew name, Paul, was his Greek name. And then something happened. Then on the way to Damascus, while he was traveling to Damascus, he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And his entire life changed. And from that moment, he went from being a persecutor to the greatest preacher of the gospel probably who has ever lived. And so the Apostle Paul, writing to some Christians living in the city of Corinth in the first century, said this. He said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. This is what Paul is writing. There were some people who were living in Corinth who were saying that there really was no resurrection from the dead. That Jesus really wasn't raised. That there really would be no future resurrection. And so Paul is writing to correct these Corinthian Christians who were teaching that there was no resurrection. And here's what he says. He says, if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. In other words, it's worthless. There's no point whatsoever to believing in Jesus if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. He goes on to say this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Fallen asleep in Christ is a euphemism for death. He's saying those Christians who have died, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then those Christians who have died are lost forever. They're gone. There's no heaven. There's no new creation. There's no seeing your loved one ever again. If Christ has not been raised, then Christians who have died are gone forever. This is Paul's argument. That unless Christ has been raised, there really is no hope of a future life no future afterlife, no future new creation, no future heaven. All of that is gone if Christ has not been raised. And he closes with this. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of, mo- of all people most to be what? Pitied. Pitied. Paul says that if, if our only hope in Christ is for this life, If Christ hasn't been raised and and all we have is Jesus' teaching for our life now, then we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, there are some people who say that Jesus was just a good teacher, that his message was, was, was positive, and if we just live by his teachings, it doesn't really matter if he lived or if he died. But Paul says no. Paul says that if Christ was not actually raised from the dead, then there's no point whatsoever and following his teachings. Paul says that that if Christ has not actually been resurrected, then if you are a follower of Jesus in this life, then you're to be pitied. You're to be, you know, people should feel sorry for you because there's, there's no benefit whatsoever to following Jesus in this life if he has not been raised from the dead. This is a really strong statement coming from one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. Somebody who came to believe that Jesus really had been raised from the dead. Now, keep in mind that Paul is writing during a time that being a Christian was very, very dangerous. Being a Christian could cost you everything during this time. To, to, to give your allegiance to Jesus in this period of time was, was costly. It could cost you your very life. And so Paul's saying, saying, if, if we're giving so much, if we're sacrificing so much for what we believe to be true and it's not true then we're wasting our time and we're wasting our effort. Basically, what Paul is saying, if the resurrection is false, there's no reason at all to be a Christian. And some of you are probably saying, that's exactly why I'm not a Christian. Right? I don't believe the resurrection to be true. But And you agree with Paul. You agree that if if Jesus hasn't been raised, then there's no point at all to be a Christian. That's the point that Paul's making here. Uh. So in light of that, I want to ask a question. And here's a question I want to ask. But what if it's true? If it's not true, it's of no importance whatsoever. If Christ hasn't been raised, then there's no point in coming to church. There's no point in reading your Bible. There's no point in praying, really. There's no point in living according to the teachings of Jesus if Jesus hasn't really been raised. But what if... It's true. Now, I'm going to talk about a few implications, if it's true. And I think all of these implications you can agree with. You can agree with, if the resurrection is true, these following conditions are also true. Because you have to admit, whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you believe in God or not, you have to admit that if Jesus really was raised from the dead, that's a big deal. Right? Because that doesn't happen all of the time. We're not used to people dying and then three days later coming back from the dead and, and having breakfast with their friends on the beach. Right? That would be an unusual event. So, so if Jesus really was raised from the dead, then this is a really big deal. And here are some of the, some of the implications. If it's true, it proves that Jesus was right about everything that he taught. Right? Let, me give you, let me break this down for you. If someone can predict their own death and resurrection three days later, which Christians believe that Jesus did, you sort of believe that everything else they said was, was pretty much true. Because if, if you can pull off predicting your own death and resurrection, then anything else that you said is, worth, is trustworthy and worth believing. So, so if Jesus really was raised from the dead, then everything else that he said was right. Which means what he said about God was right. What he said about how we ought to live and treat one another was right. What he said about a future eternal life was right. What he said about judgment was right. If Jesus really was raised from the dead, we can't afford to ignore what he taught and what he said and what he did. If he wasn't raised from the dead, then everything he taught, you can just sort of chalk up to he was one of the great philosophers of all time. But even then, Paul says, no, there's there's no reason to pay attention to what he said unless he was really raised from the dead. But if he was, then everything he taught about God and how the world works and how we're supposed to treat one another is now infinitely important to our lives. And we have to pay attention. If Jesus was raised from the dead... It means that God exists and that God loves you. Because this is what Jesus taught. This is sort of a sub-point of number one. Uh, But what this means is that that if Jesus really was raised from the dead, then God exists and He loves you and He is interested in the affairs of this life and this world and your life. If, If God really did send His Son into the world... To teach us how to live, to bear our burdens and, and, and go to the cross bearing our sins and then raise him from the dead. It means that God cares. He cares about your life. He cares about this world. He cares about how we treat each other. And it means that he loves you. He's not just some distant deity if you just believe that maybe there's some higher power, some creation who got things started and then is now sitting back and watching how everything unfolds, sort of disinterested. It means that God is deeply interested in the affairs of the world and in your life. It means that he he loved us enough to send his son into the world, right into our mess, to help us clean it up. If Jesus really was raised from the dead, it means that God exists, and it means that God loves you. Furthermore, if Jesus really was raised from the dead, it means that God is powerful. It means that God is powerful. How many people do you know can raise someone else from the dead? Now, I'm not just talking about resuscitation, like somebody's been dead for a few minutes and, you know, you jumpstart their heart. I'm talking about like three days and three nights buried, starting to decompose and stink raised from the dead. What kind of spiritual power is necessary to raise a rotting corpse up from the dead and into new life? It means that God is powerful. This means that God has the power to intervene in our lives, to break addictions, to heal broken relationships, to heal us after broken relationships, to bring death from life in so many different categories where we experience it. If God can raise a physical rotting corpse from the dead... What can he do in your life? What can he do in your job? What can he do in your family? What can he do in your body? What can he do in your relationships? Can he bring you from death to life in all of these different areas? We believe that if God is powerful enough to raise a rotting corpse from the dead, that he's powerful enough to be at work in our lives and our families and our relationships and our bodies and our jobs. If Jesus really was raised from the dead, it means there's hope. If Jesus really was raised from the dead, it means there's hope. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at in his letter to the Corinthians. He's saying that without the resurrection, without Jesus being raised from the dead, we have no hope of eternal life. But if Jesus really was raised from the dead as the first fruits from the dead, as Paul calls it. That that is a picture, then, of what is going to happen for those who follow Jesus. That we have the promise of eternal life for those who place their trust in Jesus. That we've been promised a new future and a a new body where there will be no more sorrow and no more pain and no more tears and no more death. If Jesus really was raised from the dead, it means that death is not the end. It means for those who place their trust in Christ, no matter how bad things get here and now, no matter how much suffering we experience in this life, no matter how painful things may get, and and we know that there's suffering. And we know that there's pain, and there's no promise that following Jesus is going to exempt us from that pain here and now. As a matter of fact, Paul and Jesus and all the other disciples tell us that if we decide to follow Jesus, we will experience some measure of Christ's suffering and some measure of Christ's pain. But what Paul says is that that the glory that waits for us on the other side is so immeasurably wonderful that whatever pain we experience in this life is not even worth comparing. That no matter how bad things get here, the glory that is promised for us on the other side when Jesus returns will so far outweigh our pain and our suffering in this life that it will be incomparable. If Jesus really really was raised from the dead, there's hope. There's true, real hope. A hope that we can anchor ourselves to. A hope that can pull us through the present pain and the present sufferings. But it's not just eternal hope. It's a hope that allows us to live here and now. We can can have hope that God will restore broken relationships or us after broken relationships. We have hope that God can bring healing to our families. That God can give us a fresh start. That God can break chains of addiction of whatever sort. If Jesus really was raised from the dead, there is hope now and for eternity. Finally, if Jesus really was raised from the dead, it means that we all will one day give account for our lives. If what Jesus said was true, if, if his resurrection really happened, then he really is the Lord of all. He really does have a claim to our lives. As God's creation, we really will give account to God for how we stewarded the, the life and the body that He's entrusted us. Now, I, I'm not saying this to scare you, right? This isn't, this isn't believe in Jesus or you're going to burn in hell for eternity. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But, but Jesus, it, He does tell us that we will be called to account. We will stand before Him as the perfect judge and give account for what we did with our lives. And whether or not we accepted His Lordship and His offer of grace and forgiveness. You know, when I was in school, I always hated pop quizzes. Right? Because there was no warning. I really appreciated when the teacher would say, Hey, we're going to have a test on Friday and this is what it's going to cover. Because that allowed me to make preparations in advance. If Jesus really was raised from the dead, then we know that we're going to have a final test. It's not going to be a theology test, right? You're not going to have to recite perfect doctrine. He's going to ask, did you follow me? Did you give allegiance to me? Did you accept my offer of forgiveness And enter into my way of life. It's going to be basically, uh, as the popular uh, preacher Rick Warren says, there's going to be one question that God's going to ask. And it's going to be, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And if we accept his offer of forgiveness, if we embrace his lordship and devote our lives to following him, not perfectly, He knows that we we can't perfectly keep His his standards and His laws, but if we we follow Him, if we accept His forgiveness, and we choose to follow where He leads, then we have no need to, to be concerned whatsoever about this final judgment. But if Jesus really was raised from the dead, and we choose to reject Him here and now, Jesus tells us that whoever denies Him He will deny before His Father. Again, this this isn't to scare you, this isn't to terrify you or frighten you. This This is what Jesus taught. This is why His resurrection is so important. It's why if He wasn't raised from the dead, we don't have to pay any attention to that. But if He was, then one day we will have to give an account. The beautiful thing is that what Jesus shows us in His life and in His death is that He is the most loving and benevolent of kings. He's a king who's not angry with his subjects, but loves his subjects enough to take their sins upon himself and die for them. And so this, this future reckoning, this future judgment, this future account does not have to be scary. All we have to do is say yes to Jesus. To embrace his love. To embrace his forgiveness. To pledge our allegiance to him as king, as a benevolent, loving king who wants the very, very best for us. He tells us in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. In other words, following Jesus, while while it may come at at some cost, while we may need to give up some of our own selfish desires and some of our own selfish ways of doing things, what he tells us is that if we choose to follow him, he's he's going to lead us into the very, very best life imaginable. And it may not be the life that we would necessarily choose for ourselves. It may not look like what we envision as the best life. But, but, but God, as a loving Heavenly Father, knows what the very best life for us is. And He promises that if we choose to follow Jesus, He will lead us into life to the full. Let me give you an example. I am now a father of two. I have been a father now for two years. And uh, my two-year-old... She, if I would let her, would have donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. That's her vision of life to the full. (laughs) Donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So sometimes I have to look at her and I have to say, no, you can't have donuts. You need to eat your fruit and your vegetables because it's good for you. She doesn't always like that in the moment, but because I am her loving father, because I know what is best for her in the long run, I direct her towards those things. And and sometimes that means that she has to give up things that she would want. Sometimes it means that she has to do things that she wouldn't necessarily want to do, but it's because it's leading her into the best life possible. Well, that's what Jesus does for us. He says that, yes, we will have to deny ourselves as we embrace him as Lord. We'll have to give up our version of donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner sometimes. And embrace a path that we may not necessarily choose for ourselves, but a path that will lead us to life in all of its fullness here and now and also for eternity. But if we embrace that, we have no cause for concern at this final judgment. So I think from a logical standpoint, I think even if you don't agree that the resurrection is true, you can agree that if it's true, these implications are also true. If the resurrection really happened, all of these things are true. And I think we can agree on that. So now, if you'll permit me, I just want to explain to you for a few minutes why I believe it's true. Why I believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead physically, And I'm going to give you four reasons. Here they are. Number one, the empty tomb. Jesus' followers claimed that he had been raised from the dead, physically. And there was an empty tomb. This would have been the easiest thing in the world to disprove, right? All the the religious leaders, all the Roman leaders had to do to put this rumor to rest would be to produce the body of Jesus and say there's no way he was raised from the dead. Here's his body. No one was able to do that. There was no body. The empty tomb is one good reason that we can believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Number two, the transformation of his disciples. As we read through the story of Jesus, we see them following. We see them doubting. Then we see that Jesus is led away. He's arrested and un- tried unjustly and nailed to the cross like an like a enemy of the state. And murdered by the Romans. And we see that at that moment, when Jesus was crucified, His following disappeared. They, they scattered. For them, when Jesus was nailed to the cross... Everything was over. Their dreams were crushed. There was no more hope. They went back. They were trying to pick up the pieces of their lives. They weren't meeting, saying, "Hey, what do we do now? How do we continue this thing?" When we read the story, when they were locked, the the writers of Scripture tell us that they were locked behind closed doors for fear that the same thing would happen to them. They were cowering in fear, going back to their lives. For for approximately 72 hours, they believed that everything they had come to believe was a lie. All of their hopes and dreams had come crashing down. And then something happened. They went from this scared group of people hiding behind a locked door... To all of a sudden, standing in front of the very people who had Jesus crucified, saying, You killed him, but God raised him. Now change your minds. There was this incredible transformation in their lives. Something happened. And this is something all scholars agree. All scholars, most scholars. Most scholars agree that something happened to change the disciples' mind, to transform them from this this scared group. Now, there are lots of different explanations. Maybe they saw a collective hallucination of Jesus, right? But something happened. They came to really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they spent the rest of their lives preaching this message. And for many of them, it cost them their very lives They ended up being executed and killed for their very proclamation that Jesus had been raised from the dead. This isn't something you do if you don't believe it. Right? People will often die for a lie, but nobody dies for something they know is a lie. Right? We don't give our lives for something we know to be a lie. The transformation of the disciples is proof, I believe in conjunction with the empty tomb, that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Third, the conversion of James. We're told in Scripture that James was Jesus' brother. During Jesus' earthly life, during his ministry, he was not a follower of Jesus. He, he, actually sort of, he and his family sort of thought that Jesus was crazy. We, we, we read that in the stories about Jesus' life. And then something happens. And just a few short years later, James is the leader of the early church. So one of the things that I like to say, and I I steal this from one of my favorite preachers, is what would it take to convince you that your brother was the Son of God? Nothing short of a resurrection from the dead. The conversion of James from from not following Jesus to believing that he really was the Son of God is, is evidence, I believe, that Jesus really was raised from the dead. The conversion of Paul. Paul was a persecutor. We talked about him. He was going around destroying the church believed it was ultimate heresy, worthy of death, and then he has this experience on the road to Damascus and does a complete 180-degree turn and goes from persecuting the church to being its greatest preacher and dedicates the rest of his life and eventually dies for proclaiming that Jesus had been raised from the dead. When you look at the fact that there was an empty tomb, that there was nobody. When you look at the fact that Jesus' disciples went from cowering in fear to giving their lives proclaiming this, When you look at the fact that James, the brother of Jesus, was was not a follower of Jesus and then became a leader of the church, proclaiming him as the son of God. When you look at the fact that Paul was a persecutor of the church and became its greatest preacher. The only reasonable explanation for all of this, for for reasonable people, is that Jesus really was raised from the dead. And if Jesus really was raised from the dead, then what he said was true, Then God exists and He loves you. Then He has a claim on our life. Then there's hope. And we will one day give account. So I believe that the the best evidence, the best explanation of all of the evidence is that Jesus really was raised from the dead. So back to our original question. So what? What? so what are you going to do about it? This is not something on which we can afford to be neutral. Paul tells us that if Jesus was not raised and our faith is in vain, that we're of all people most pity. But if He was, it really changes everything. And we all have to make a decision about what we are going to do with the resurrection. Are we going to give our lives to the one who loved us enough to die for us? Are we going to embrace his call to follow him and give him allegiance? Are we going to enter into the life that he's promised? There's no middle ground. The resurrection, if true, is of infinite importance. And we must decide what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take part in communion together. Uh, We have open communion here, so if you want to come up and take part, uh, communion is a recognition, it's a a memorial of Jesus' death. The the night before he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, he was gathered together with some of his closest friends. As he was sharing a meal with them, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. At the end of the meal, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you for the forgiveness of sins. And he told them that he would be going away. And that as every time they did this, they were, every time they shared in this meal together, they were to remember his death until he comes back. And what I know about Jesus is that Jesus' table is open, that Jesus invites all to his table. So whether you are a part of this church or whether you are part of another church or whether you're a follower of Jesus or not yet a follower of Jesus and you're just exploring, if you want to come to the table of Jesus and share in the meal, Jesus invites you and he says, welcome. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to come down with with some wafers and a cup. You can just line up and come forward and you can take it. Uh, There will be some music. We'll have a special song as we take it. Um, As you take that, you can just take it back to your seats. Uh, you don't need to wait for me, just in your own heart, in your own mind, you can, you can take that bread and you can take that cup and you can thank God for, for its significance and what it means. If, if you don't want to take part and you want to stay in your seat, that's okay too, uh, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to share this. This is, this is one of the traditions that unites Christians across time and across space. This is, this is one of the things that all Christians do. Uh, that the church has done from the very beginning. We do it in different ways. Uh, Some people use wine. Some of us use grape juice. Uh, Some of us uh, do it every Sunday. Some of us do it once a week, uh, once a month. Some of us do it uh, once a year. But it's the one thing that unites us together. And it's the one thing that Jesus said, do in remembrance of me. So as we share together with this bread and this cup, we remember that God sent His Son into the world, that He loved us so much that He came into the world to, to help us clean up our mess, that He took our mess upon Himself and went to the cross bearing our burdens and bearing our sins, that He gave Himself in love. And as we take this bread and this cup, we remember His love and we allow it to inspire us to respond to Him. Maybe this will be your first time responding. Maybe this will be the first time you're saying yes to following Jesus. Maybe you've been uh, following Jesus for a long time and this is your call to just remember and allow it to inspire you to share his love with others. Maybe you've been a part of the church before and you've spent some time away and now you're coming back. L- allow this to be a reminder of Jesus' unending love for you, that his arms are always open, that you're always welcome at his table. So I'm going to pray while I pray. I'm going to invite uh, Mandy up to come lead us in our final song. Father, as we reflect on the fact that You loved us so much that You sent Your one and only Son to become like us, to help us clean up our mess, to show us how to live, to take our sins upon Himself. and Father, to pay the ultimate price on our behalf. Father, we remember that that crucifixion, it looked like the end. It looked like failure. And yet we believe that three days and three nights later, you raised him from the dead, vindicating him as the true Lord of all. And so, Father, I pray for all of us today that you would enable us and inspire us to respond, to take whatever next step that may be, Father, may the resurrection of Jesus spur us on to make a decision to follow Him, to respond to Your offer of love and grace. May we experience Your grace and Your transformation. May we experience life to the full. May we grasp hope that is really hope and life that is really life. As we share in this bread and this cup, help us to remember Your love. Help us to respond with faithfulness. I pray in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.